0: Listen, numbers mean nothing. Engagement, even on social, means nothing. For you, ultimately, it's what converts to purchase, or at least to engagement with you. Hey, everyone, I'm Mark Randolph, and welcome to That Will Never Work. On this podcast, I speak with folks who are at every stage of building their own business, whether they're leaping from side hustle to self-employed, or are already generating revenue and ready to level up. My goal is to draw out their biggest challenges and then using a combination of advice, encouragement and tough love, nudge them just a little closer to realizing their dreams. While I'm known for co-founding Netflix and serving as its first CEO, my career as an entrepreneur spans four decades. Netflix was actually my fifth startup. And since leaving there, I've had the opportunity to work with scores of early stage companies and mentor aspiring entrepreneurs from all over the world. Along the way, I've picked up hundreds of tips, tricks, and secrets, which I'm eager to share with my listeners. Helping others move their ideas forward has become my life's passion. So, if you've been told that will never work as much as I have, you've come to the right place. Together, we'll prove the naysayers wrong. One of the fun things about this job is that sometimes I get to speak with people who are building something that I need. And today's guest, Kat, is working on something right up my alley. Kat is a personal jewelry shopper. And as a man who has spent uncountable hours aimlessly wandering from one jewelry counter to another, trying to figure out the right gift for the right occasion, I definitely understand the problem that Kat's trying to solve. But Kat has problems of her own. In this case, how to market her service most effectively. And even more importantly, who to market or service to. It's a fun conversation, and it highlights the importance of understanding all the dynamics of what you're selling so that you can decide the best way to sell it. Have a listen. Hi, Kat, and welcome to That Will Never Work. I'm so excited to be uh, talking with you. And the reason is because when I first heard the message you left for me, I said, oh, my God, this woman is solving a problem that I'm going to say half the world's population faces, but then maybe even it's 100% of the world's population. So welcome. And I can't wait to chat with you. So why don't you start? by telling us what this problem is that you are trying to solve that I believe everyone in the world could benefit from.
1: Absolutely. I'm the owner of Best Kept Jewelry Concierge, and I help people find and make the perfect piece of jewelry for milestone occasions. I focus on things like custom engagement rings and sourcing really special gifts for things like anniversaries, birthdays, holidays, the birth of a new baby, I partner with wholesalers, designers, jewelers, collectors, vintage dealers, and diamond dealers. And I like to say that I can help you find or make almost anything. To your point about a a big problem, I started the business because buying jewelry is very overwhelming and it's so difficult to know where to start and who to trust. But I felt like if you could take the universe of options and narrow it down to two or three within your budget that you can feel confident the person you're shopping for is going to love, that a lot more people would sort of take the leap and buy something special for their loved one.
0: So the reason that I said that I thought half the world's population uh, would benefit from this was I, of course, was thinking about men and that one of the most intimidating things in the world is going into a jewelry store and saying, I'd love to buy my partner, in this case, my wife, something. But wow, I'm not sure. But is it a problem for the other half of the world? Does it solve problems for women as well? Is this both directions?
1: Absolutely. I would say I primarily work with men. To your point, I think oftentimes they really would love a little bit help um, in terms of where to start. But I think for women too, there's hundreds of thousands of product pages out there if you're looking online. And it's really difficult to understand, is this a fair price? Is this a good investment? Also to know when to stop shopping. Have I found the right option for me? With a man, the worst thing I could do is to give him more options, more than three options. With my female (laughs) clients too, I think sometimes just having that sounding board and someone to provide you the confidence that you're making a good investment is really helpful.
0: Well, I got a lot of directions I can go here. It's funny, years and years ago, I did a gap year from college and I ended up working in a ski shop. And there was really where someone taught me how to be a salesperson. And probably the most interesting thing they taught me how to do was they said, what you have to do is figure out pretty quickly the general thing this person wants and quickly narrow it down to two or maybe three choices Your job is not to explain every single product in the store that's going to drive someone crazy and greatly confuse them. It's narrowing it down. And it sounds like in some ways that's a problem that you're solving too.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I think that it's very overwhelming, as I said, the sheer product selection, but also the longer I'm in business, the more I realize people want to feel like the hero, particularly if they're buying a piece for somebody else. And to the extent you can make it simple and then also provide them with some of the language around why this is a great choice, why this is a thoughtful choice and why this is something they're going to love is great. I think part of the reason I work with so many men is a lot of my clients will feel like they've bought a piece of jewelry in the past, but it was returned or she (laughs) didn't like it. And so I think I'm a little bit uh, that security blanket, if you will.
0: Is what you are doing basically being a personal shopper for jewelry, or are you doing something more bespoke than that?
1: You hit the nail on the head. I used to describe myself as a personal shopper for fine jewelry. It's a bit of a mix. I would say that I certainly curate options, but then I also help people make custom pieces as well. A big difference between me and many other private jewelers is I don't hold any inventory, and so every piece I do is sourced or made specifically for you.
0: So what percentage of them are sourced and which percentage of them are made, and does it make a difference to the client?
1: I think from a process standpoint, it's still you start with a consultation, and I present you with options and kind of guide you through it from that consultation all the way to receiving the final piece in the mail. In terms of the makeup of my revenue and business, most of the business is sourcing with about 30 or 35% being
0: custom. That's kind of interesting. So when someone comes to you, I assume it's not in person. Is this all done via Zoom or is it in person? Or how does the interaction actually happen?
1: Yes. So that first consultation is usually over the phone and we'll discuss what you're looking for, what your budget is. Oftentimes I'll have my clients send a picture of their wife or spouse that gives me a little bit of a flavor of their style and helps me put my finger on their overall energy. And usually from that first conversation and a few visual inputs, like a photo, I have what I need. I have sort of my marching orders to go out and source really beautiful curated options within your budget.
0: So then you present these options. How?
1: I put together a really easy-to-understand PDF. As I said, I I like to include anywhere between three to five great options. For each of the options, I always include pictures of the piece on the body. I think one of the most challenging things about buying a piece of jewelry online is scale. Often you'll order something, it comes, and it's not at all the size you thought it was going to be. So I always like to include as many pictures as I can, particularly on the body. I like to include information on the designer, and I'll also include a little bit of language on why I think this is a great choice for Sally. So if you've mentioned your wife has beautiful blue eyes and the piece has blue sapphire, I'll sort of pepper that in. I like to find little pockets of thoughtfulness to make it feel like almost an inevitable choice.
0: They get the PDF and then what's next? Then do they narrow it down to what point do they actually see this thing or does that only happen after they've pulled the trigger?
1: Exactly. So you'll review the options. Ideally, you say, let's go with option two and I will order it and send it to you.
0: And is there a money back guarantee?
1: I don't do returns. I do have an exchange policy, but I have to tell you in three and a half years in business, I think I've gotten something like two exchanges. It's a very personal process that we go through and I'm really proud of my track record that way.
0: Yeah, that certainly sounds amazing if you have so few people who have said, I don't love this which is fantastic. It's really interesting. And, you know, I've certainly bought, at this point, a lot of jewelry. And I've tried pretty much every different technique. The closest I've come is that we did have a jeweler that we used to go to all the time, who after a while began to know what we wanted. And I can immediately see how powerful a tool this is. I also realize, of course, firsthand how confusing it is trying to understand things like diamond quality and all the other little pieces that go into trying to know whether you're getting ripped off or not.
1: Exactly. So the engagement ring process is always going to be a little bit different, but I like to kind of tailor the amount of education based on the client's appetite. So I have some clients who essentially want like a mini master's degree in gemology and then other clients who kind of really trust me and just want sort of an introduction to the basic four C's. But my job is to really act as the client's advocate and really ensure that they're paying a fair price and they know exactly what it is they're buying.
0: Okay, so now I kind of understand it, and I hope everyone who's listening has been following along gets it. Let's now geek out a little bit here on the state of the business. And then, yes, eventually I will ask you what it is that you're curious about or maybe struggling with. Approximately, what's the average order size? Is this a every kiss begins with K size order, or is this more of a Cartier type customer?
1: Probably somewhere in between. My budgets for sourcing start at $2,000. So depending on how big a milestone the occasion is, my most typical budgets for sourcing gifts are in that $2,500 to $10,000 range. And engagement rings really start at $10,000.
0: So the question on everyone's lips, is it still spending two months salary for an engagement ring or is that pure myth-making by De Beers?
1: I would say some people still think of it that way. A little bit of myth-making, but no, the whole process of buying an engagement ring has changed so much. And I think a lot of that is to do with Instagram and it being such a visual time. Um, (laughs) Women are much more involved in the process than I think that they used to be. Yeah, engagement rings is definitely one of my favorite parts of the business.
0: Tell me about um, repeat customers. Once someone buys from you, what percentage of them come back?
1: I have like a pocket or book of business where people come to me three or four times a year. And to your point about having that family jeweler, that's almost what I've become for them, where I know their tastes. And instead of the glossy PDF with lots of options, I'm almost just texting you options throughout the year. Other people, again, who maybe buy less jewelry come to me every once in a while when it comes to that really big milestone occasion. But as I look at sort of my client roster, about 30 or 40% of
0: people come back again. So is one of your big challenges more customers or more revenue per customer or both?
1: Really more revenue per customer. What I do is really personalize and I like to take a lot of time with each client. And so obviously my time is limited. As the business grows, just finding ways to capture those bigger budgets is always on my mind.
0: What else is on your mind? I could certainly go in a lot of directions here, but what are you uh, currently wondering about or struggling with or thinking about? What can I help you with?
1: Business is on track to triple again this year, which is really exciting. And as I've looked to expand beyond just my immediate network and word of mouth and referrals, I've spent a lot of time on Instagram, which has been fantastic. But as I dig into the numbers, I'm finding that about 80% of profits come from working with men buying something special for their partner or spouse. But more than 80% of my Instagram followers are women. I certainly work with women directly and they'll send their husbands to me. But I'm just wondering if there are creative ways that I can market more directly to my ideal client.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting dynamic. Let me go to the root of it for a second. Do you think that women are more confident in buying their own jewelry and see less need to have someone help them? Is that why 80% of your customers are men? Is that the nature of this business?
1: I think what it comes down to is, unlike a lot of other people who sell jewelry on Instagram, I don't have an e-commerce store. As I mentioned, I don't hold any inventory. And so I think women really like to browse and shop and keep things on their wish list versus just the way that my more consultative service is set up is really around needing some sense of urgency. There are women that I direct message with for months and months, and they think a lot about what their next purchase will be. But because there's not that my anniversary is next Saturday component, it can be a little bit harder to convert them.
0: Since I don't have it in front of me, give me a quick idea what the nature of your Instagram account highlights. Is these pictures of beautiful jewelry?
1: Exactly. So if you go into the feed, it is pictures of pieces that I've done with my other clients. And then on Instagram stories, which is more of an ephemeral everyday thing, I like to include the behind the scenes process of how I'm sourcing and appointments at the diamond dealer. Instagram really is such a great medium for jewelry because it's so visual, but you can also imagine that more women are drawn to follow an account like that.
0: I can go at this from two different directions for you. So the first one is the path of least resistance is you say, fine, 80% of my followers are for women. So I'll ask you a question, which is what percentage of the men that are buying from you were sent to you by the women? In other words, where they were getting the nudges or under the coffee cup in the morning was just a little URL. In other words, to what degree is in fact the fact that women are paying attention to your jewelry what's driving so much of your business or do you think they're unrelated?
1: They're very much related. The new business that comes in from Instagram is almost always my wife screenshotted a few of your pictures and sent them to me over text or she messaged me one of your posts. This concept of talk to cat is a big part of the recent growth.
0: So the first thing is, Don't change. In other words, (laughs) if you have this model and you have some evidence that, in fact, by attracting a very, very large audience of females on your social media, and that is, in fact, converting to sales to men, then in some ways, it's a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. In other words, what you then do is begin to go with it and you begin to look for ways to actually accentuate that go to cat messaging. And so much of what you do is actually not just pictures of beautiful jewelry, but it's actually putting in these prompts, putting in things that you think you can get the woman to tag the man as the hint, hint, hint. And you just sort of accentuate that piece of it and encourage it. And that could be a pretty powerful way. But now let me take it a different direction. Do you think many men enjoy looking at pieces of pretty jewelry on Instagram?
1: (laughs) Not many, I would say between you and
0: me. You're right, 20%, uh, and not very many. (laughs) I'm a little into watches, but I don't really follow a lot of watches. It just is a different thing. Okay, so you know better than anybody, what are men curious about in jewelry? I
1: think they're curious about what other people are wearing. I think they often use that as sort of a touch point. So they're often asking, what are the best sellers for this price point? What are some of the things that you're doing for other people? Some of my clients definitely care about the designer and sort of the story of how the piece is made. But I find that my clients are really happiest when I send them something and it speaks to them and it's a quick, yes, option three, wrap it up, put it in a box. I think it's very empowering for them to come into the process, not really knowing what they're doing and then leave feeling like they've got a strong instinct and they've made a great choice.
0: How analytical are they?
1: Certainly my favorite clients aren't very analytical. (laughs) That's
0: probably why they're your
1: favorites. (laughs) More to say they do trust the process. I would say by the time someone comes to me and has paid the deposit and is committed to working together, they aren't quite so analytical. They come into it feeling like I'm going to provide them access to things that are really beautiful and particularly things that are well made.
0: The direction I'm going here, and you have to take this with the understanding that I don't know anything about this whole category, and some of this is coming from personal experience, but categorically, what this really requires is if you really want to attract more men to receive your message, you have to deeply understand what men are curious about and how that interacts with the jewelry business. And in some ways, in my opinion, One approach is to position yourself as a thought leader, not in taste and style, but in how to pick a piece of jewelry for someone. For example, again, this is going to be lame because I'm not fluent enough, but if you begin to explain the pros and cons of different color diamonds, which you can do very well in a visual medium, you're giving someone this chance to understand, oh, okay, I get it if you can teach someone about what flaws are, what they look like and why sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not good. If you can talk about some of the cut, if you can talk about all these other aspects that demystify, and I'm just talking about diamonds, but there's a million categories, even stupid things, and I'll make this up again, how to know whether you should get a choker or a pendant or it's not so much look how pretty this is, it's let's give you confidence that you're gonna blow your wife's mind with this gift because you understand it. And at the same time, the idea is to do something which resonates with someone who they are willing to follow because they are learning and they are becoming more educated. And you're positioning yourself as the person who's trustworthy. If you did exposes, if you went and did secret shopper and said, listen, here's the exact same diamond and it's three times the price here than it is here, you're doing the kind of stuff that men would go, God, that's really cool. And you're positioning yourself Yourself as someone who's trustworthy, who's not going to rip you off.
1: Right. I think there is that education component, which has performed really well and people are really interested in. As I think about what you asked me before a little bit more, I think what a lot of the people I work with are primarily interested in is, is she going to like this? I think they feel like they're putting themselves out there a little bit. It is sort of a vulnerable thing to present someone a piece of jewelry. And I think um, their primary concern after am I getting ripped off is, is she going to like it? That's the big challenge. And I think what I'm uniquely good at, but I almost think that's almost more important to them than the more analytical education component.
0: You have a methodology for helping men become, again, I know I'm playing gender roles here, so everyone who's listening, understand, listen, it's 80-20, so we're just going to go with the 80-20. And I know, obviously, a lot of times it goes the opposite direction. If you've learned these techniques about how to be more confident, because it's not just helping the man find what he wants, it's helping the man find what he wants because he thinks and knows his partner or recipient will want it. And I think a lot of that is something that you can do in a social media context to make people comfortable, more comfortable with you in a format that appeals to men. Maybe, in fact, you do two different accounts.
1: Mm. Oh, I like that.
0: Which is you have the women's account, which goes all in on eye candy and your very clever ways of driving referral. Whereas the other account, the men's account, is much more, and we still have to play with what this is, which would have to come from you focus grouping some of your better customers about figuring out what is it that I can say that will make somebody want to follow and begin to, because listen, numbers mean nothing. Engagement. Even on social means nothing. For you, ultimately, it's what converts to purchase or at least to engagement with you. And that's gonna require some different level of content. Most likely, it's gonna come from establishing you as trustworthy, establishing you as knowledgeable, and probably most importantly, establishing this comfort that if they take this step, which they're only gonna do in the case of an engagement ring, twice in their life. <laughs> oh God, How cynical is that? That they're only going to do once in their life. There's huge amounts of fear that you have to overcome, that you're going to be the person who helps them find something for a woman that you don't even know.
1: I think that point about two different accounts is really interesting because for a long time, I struggled with the messaging, which is ultimately you're buying a product, which is a piece of jewelry. But what I'm really providing, what's really unique is the service. And a little bit what I'm hearing you saying is highlight the product on my existing account, which really targets women, but talk a lot more about the service component with the separate account and the process behind it and how you too can get a better sense of her style and ask better questions and feel like every time you're going to nail it.
0: Exactly. It comes down to you. And listen, the good exercise is to write down literally what do women want out of this? What's the right outcome for them? And what do men want out of this? What's the right outcome for them? And they're going to be very different. And then you can back into what are the steps you want to use? What are the, how do you present this emotionally? How do you want those two audiences to think about you? It could be really, really interesting. And I think it'd be kind of interesting, I don't know if you have played with it before, is developing some form of collaborative shopping.
1: Right. I like that a lot. I think, as I mentioned, with engagement ring shopping, I'm seeing that as much more of a trend. Oftentimes, um, both parties will come to the diamond dealer to select the stone together. More and more, there's a movement towards that. And then on the gift side, sometimes women are just very, very prescriptive. So it's very collaborative in that way.
0: That's different actually, as I've said over and over and over and over again, don't spend all this time designing this product, the product being a collaborative shopping service, before you try it. You try a whole bunch of different ways. Because some customers, yes, the woman's going to want to be prescriptive, like you said. It's collaborative, but not Mm. really. Your role, future husband, is to pay for it. I'm going to pick it out. And then there's truly collaborative, where they're jointly reviewing the PDF, and they're jointly making these decisions about it. And then there's this What I think is the more interesting one, which is a confidence-building collaborative where the man feels like he's making this decision, he's in charge of it, but there's check-ins. In other words, I still have to sometimes ask my wife, wait, do you want 18-carat or do you want 14-carat? I can't remember all the time. Who knows? You might find some hybrid. Anyway, Kat, I think this whole thing is really interesting. And like I said, a lot of the time I end up speaking with entrepreneurs who are solving problems that I can't relate to for a second. And certainly this is one that I can totally relate to. Fantastic! Does this help at all? Does this give you a sense of maybe a direction to begin playing around with?
1: Absolutely. My wheels are spinning. I love this idea of what does collaborative actually mean. The gift side, there's always that tension between I want her to love it, but also how powerful the element of surprise is. There's sort of um, a sliding scale there, which is how important is the the element of surprise versus how much input you really want. And I think there's something really interesting and also just worth exploring there.
0: Well, there's an interesting game you could play, for example, if I was going to buy you a puppy for a present. I wouldn't let literally, you collaboratively bring you to the pet store or to the breeder and you pick out your puppy. But it could also be sending you, okay, cat, let's play a game, A or B. And A is a huge Great Dane and B is a teeny little Pekingese. And you go, no. Or there's three and you pick this one. All right, cool. We've gotten somewhere. Then you have next one is there's shaggy and there's this or there's what I don't know I'm making this up as I go along and it's stupid but there is an element of that of giving a man increasing confidence that he's on the right track yet still having it be an independent decision still being a surprise but not out of left field right. it's going to be close so it, there's a whole bunch of ways to experiment with that but. Ultimately, okay, I can sum up my whole advice here, which is it's going to be very difficult to blend these models because I think the person who's going to wear the jewelry has very different criteria for what they look for from you. The person who's buying it for someone else, totally different criteria. And what you have to become is an expert in both of those. And I suspect you're already an expert in the, how does the person wearing it feel? And you're probably more knowledgeable than many, many, many other people in what does it take to make the buyer confident in what he's buying for the other person. Once you have those two personas so locked in and their motivation so understood, you can cater your advertising and your marketing to two different audiences and have it work together. And in your case, it's one of the few places where you kind of have to. Most of the time, I'd say pick one and nail it. But I think in this one, you really have to understand both. And then if you can build a collaborative one, then you're truly, you can create something. But I wouldn't, oh now you got me going here. I wouldn't do collaborative to the extreme that says, this is collaborative in the sense that the woman picks it out and the man just agrees. What's unique is to solve both problems simultaneously. Whereas the man feels, oh, this is really cool. I'm going to really surprise her with something she loves. And There's some confidence that the woman's going to get something that she truly loves, which gives her this confidence to be willing to surrender that judgment and that appeal, that opinion to the man. That would be really interesting.
1: Exactly. You need both.
0: (laughs) You need both. Well, cool, Kat. I think this is awesome. For people of any gender and any age who are buying nice jewelry for someone else, you're doing us all a great service. So I certainly uh, wish you the best of luck with it. I am going to ask, though, at some point in the future, we check in again, so I'm curious to see where you ended up with your marketing and your new uh, collaborative purchasing Absolutely.
1: I would love that. Thank you so much, Mark. I so appreciate
0: it. Oh, it's a pleasure, Kat. Good luck. Thank you, guys. Kat's business is especially interesting because her clients aren't simply individuals, but rather they're partnerships. I suspect that this two-partner aspect has always been implicit in the work that Kat's done, but I bet that if she deliberately incorporates the needs of both parties into her business plan, it'll go a long way. Down the line, I look forward to speaking with her again and asking about all what worked and what didn't. And maybe, just maybe, I'll get some insider advice on my next big gift. Well, that's all for today, and thanks to my guests for entrusting their business to me for a little while. I look forward to hearing back from them in a few months to see if my advice helped. In the meantime, if you want to be a guest on That Will Never Work, I've made it really easy. Just go to markrandolph.com forward slash guest, fill out the form, and leave a voice message right there on the site. While you're there, sign up to get my weekly entrepreneurial advice delivered right to your inbox. Or connect with me on Twitter, at MBRandolph, or on Instagram at that Will Never work Or my newest attempt at denying my age on TikTok, where I promise you won't ever find me dancing without a shirt on. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to smash that like button and leave me a review at Apple Podcasts. I'll see you next time. Audiation.